Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. I read to you earlier this evening the first six verses that describe the political setting for the arrival of John the Baptist in fulfillment of the prophecies of Isaiah of a voice crying in the wilderness preparing a people for the Lord. But I want us now to look at Luke chapter 3 and verse 15. I read to you some of the words of John the Baptist and his preaching of repentance and his preaching of the kingdom of heaven. But we come to verse 15 and look at what the people, how the people responded, some of them. Luke 3.15, And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not. Now John goes ahead and tells them that he is not. But the people were in expectation, and there's a good reason why. It was 27 A.D. In 456 B.C., the prophet Daniel was given a vision from with it from an angel and a message from an angel that 483 late years later, 456 plus 27, what is that? Can someone help me? Oh, it's 483? 483 years later, the Messiah would arrive. Praise His glorious name. Every promise of God in Christ is yea, and in Him is amen. It is so in truth. Can you imagine those people in the area of 27 A.D.? They know that someone has got to appear on the scenes, and all of a sudden, there's John the Baptist. Is he the Christ? And John immediately said, no, I'm not the one. Look at the very next verse. Jesus said, John said, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Amen. As soon as John baptized Jesus, very quickly it happened. John was put into prison and lost his head. So Jesus took up where he left off. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14. Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. John went into prison. Jesus has been baptized. Jesus comes and preaches. The time is fulfilled. There must be a time prophecy that was being fulfilled. And I just briefly explained it to you. But that's what we want to consider this evening and that fabulous prophecy. First of all, when Nebuchadnezzar had a vision of a great image that showed the four kingdoms of the earth that were coming, the fourth kingdom, the Roman, what was the first? I think it was Babylon. The second one was Media, Persia. The third one was Greece, then Rome. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. And the days of those Roman, did you hear all those titles I read off and men in positions of, of appointment from the Roman government? John the Baptist came on the scene announcing Jesus Christ. 
men were looking for the last number of years. And see, they knew that in Israel, no one was going to spring onto the scene that wasn't 30 years old. So what do you think was happening 30 years before 27 A.D.? How about Simeon? How about Anna? Did Anna speak to those in Jerusalem that were waiting for redemption? Was Simeon told by the Lord that he wouldn't die before he saw the Lord's Christ? And he held him as a child. That was 30 years before 27 A.D. Don't worry about the... I'm not making a mistake. They made a mistake in our calendars. They made a mistake of four years. It's very easily identifiable. They just haven't bothered to change it because it would really mess us up if you had to start writing 1989 all over again. Don't even think about it. 27 A.D. is when Jesus Christ came on the scene and Jesus died in 30 A.D., 40 years before the destruction of Jerusalem. They were looking for redemption. Look at Luke 23. Luke 23. The people were in expectation. Luke 23 and verse 51. This tells us about Joseph of Arimathea, who came and asked to participate in the removal of our Lord's body from the cross. It says of him in parentheses in verse 51, The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. They were waiting for the fulfillment of a prophecy. When we see the two on the road to Emmaus in chapter 24 of this same epistle, they said, we had thought that Jesus of Nazareth would be the one that would bring redemption for us and redeem us. Well, they had thought right. They were just a little confused about his death, burial, and resurrection. Let's turn back in our Bibles now to Daniel chapter 9 and find out how and why those people were in expectation. And we have the most specific, the plainest prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to die for us in the whole Bible is in Daniel chapter 9. I want to read the first two verses just to set the stage. If you want to read a prayer and see a great man and how he thinks and reasons. Read Daniel chapter 9 slowly and forget the prophecy at the end because that's the angel giving Daniel a message. Read his prayer for his people of Israel. He was confessing the sins of the whole nation. Wonderful prayer. Daniel 9 verse 1. In the first year of Darius the son of Ahasuerus of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. God had prophesied, because you Jews will not keep my Sabbath day, I will haul you all captive off to Babylon and the land will have a long Sabbath day, as long as 70 years. At the end of 70 years, I'll recover you from Babylon, bring you back to your land, back to your city. You can rebuild the temple, and then I will punish Babylon for taking you captive. Daniel understood that by reading and studying. Bless his heart. He was being faithful in his private devotions and study of God's word while he was one of the most responsible people in the government of the Medes and the Persians. But he finds that the 70 years is coming to an end. 
And I have to summarize, brethren. I've taught you this before, and there is a massive outline on the Internet that I'll be happy to get for you in any form you want it, if you want more of the details. But I've got to summarize. The event that ended the 70 years is very visible in the Word of God. It is recorded for you in Second Chronicles. It is recorded for you in Ezra. It is recorded for you in Isaiah. It's recorded for you in Daniel. That great event was Cyrus the Persian, whom God called my servant. His first year on the throne, he said, the Lord God of heaven. Why don't they teach this in history? The Lord God of heaven hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem. Now all of you Jews that would like to go back, you are welcome to leave my empire here and go back to Jerusalem, and I will assist you in building a house for the worship of the God of heaven. And you can find that event identified and listed because God had called Cyrus to that work before Cyrus was ever born. You can go into Isaiah 44 and 45 and find God calling Cyrus by name before Mama had called him by name. Because he was his servant. It was that event that ended the 70 years And it was that event that began 70 weeks of years, or 490 years. Now let's look at this prophecy. It's in verses 24 through 27 of this chapter. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. I've dealt before. It was just a couple years ago. On a Wednesday night, we went through Daniel 9, and I let you know how much I cannot stand what men have done to this prophecy in the last 150 years. They have destroyed this prophecy. They have taken it and jammed a 2,000-year gap right into the middle of it, which makes God a liar and all of His promises yay and nay. Because He said, 70 weeks, yay. They say, nay. 69 weeks plus 2,000 years, and it's still counting, then a 70th week. But all the promises of God in Christ are yay, And in Him, amen. Amen. I do not have... I have strong opinions on that subject. And I have strong and intense feelings toward those that want to lie outside of the Word of God because there is nothing to give a gap. The prophecy becomes senseless with a gap. The prophecy becomes a lie with a gap. If I tell you in 50 years something is going to happen... I don't mean for you to understand, after 45 years, start counting an indefinite period of time. And then whenever that ends, add on five more years. There's nothing, That's what they've got. This is the only place in the Bible where they think they've got a seven-year tribulation. First of all, it's not a tribulation. And second of all, the seven years have been fulfilled for almost 2,000. There's no place in the Bible that talks about a tribulation that we're supposed to go through yet as a specific thing or a specific event. And there is certainly no place in the Bible that says it's seven years long. They just take the seven years, the last week of this prophecy that applies to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and apply it to the devil and the Antichrist. Now, how is that for mixing up a prophecy? This is our Savior being announced. The Jews understood it because they were in expectation that something was about to happen. They were looking for Jesus the Messiah to arrive. Daniel chapter 9, 
and verse 24. You start confessing your sins the way Daniel did, God will give you a message too. He'll show you some secret from His Word. He will. He'll show you the secret of His covenant. Brethren, in just a few minutes, I'm going to hold this up and I'm going to say, and I'm going to quote our Savior, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This blood is the symbol of the everlasting covenant that Jesus Christ put into force and it was foretold in Daniel 9. And they take that covenant and make it a covenant between the Christ-hating Jews and the Antichrist. Let's see. I just want us to see the wonderful things that are in it for us. Amen. As we understand it. Here comes the angel speaking to Daniel in verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now does seventy weeks determine sound to you like it has an indefinite time period of 2,000 years between the 69th week and the 70th week? Or does it sound like God's pretty certain of this event? Seventy weeks are determined. These are weeks of years. Seventy weeks is how long? That's a year and 18 weeks. That's a year and a third. Did these events that we're about to describe occur in a year and a third? No. This is a period of time of 490 years. Don't be, don't even doubt that for a second. This is a prophecy of a year for a day that is common throughout the Bible. The spies went into Canaan for 40 days. They came back with an evil report. God said, one day for a year, I'm going to punish you in the wilderness. And God has followed that method throughout the Bible. You can see it in numerous prophecies. And we know it's true of this one because of when it was fulfilled. Do you know why Bible prophecy is given? So that when we're on the other side of it, we can say our God is great. He foretold this exactly. Seventy weeks are determined. Four hundred and ninety years are determined upon thy people, Daniel, upon the Jewish people, and upon thy holy city, the city of Jerusalem. And here are six things that would occur in 70, week, 70 weeks of years, or 490 years. These six things. To finish the transgression, to make the end of sins, an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Let's run through these six events because this is what I want you to get from verse 24. Six things would happen in this period of 490 years, and they would happen at the very end as we're going to be told in the next three verses. But I want to deal with these six things first. Event number one that would happen, to finish the transgression. Those words mean the Jews would finally commit the ultimate crime of crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ, adding to all their bloody crimes already, so that upon them the Lord could bring all the blood from righteous Abel to Zechariah, the last prophet killed in the Old Testament, upon that generation of Jews. Let's look at a couple of references that tell us about that. Look at Matthew, holding your hand or your Bible marker at Daniel 9. Let's go to Matthew 23. To finish the transgression. To finish the transgression. See, God has... Patience, long-suffering, even with sinners. 
But he reaches an end, and he knows when he's not at that end. Let me read you one from the Old Testament, way back in the days of Abraham. God said to Abraham, In the fourth generation they shall come hither again, that is, his people out of Egypt. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. See, God has a fullness of iniquity that he will allow a people to get to. When, he, when they get to that, then he swears in his wrath and destroys them utterly. And until then, he knows that they're not there yet. And Israel was not there yet. I don't have time tonight to take you through the parables when the householder would send a servant. What's that representing? The servant. A prophet. He'd send another servant. Another prophet. He'd send another servant. Another prophet. Then he said, I'll send my son. Maybe they'll honor my son. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they killed the son, saying, well, this is the heir. If we kill him, the kingdom is, the, the vineyard is ours. What did Jesus Christ say to them? He, he'll miserably destroy those people and burn up their city. Because that's the ultimate crime. And it's the ultimate crime of a wicked group of people. God judged them for 70 years in Babylon for not keeping the Sabbath. Killing the Lord Jesus Christ was a whole lot worse than not keeping the Sabbath. And he wiped that nation out utterly in 70 A.D. for that horrible crime. In Matthew chapter 23, we have this description of the Lord Jesus to the Pharisees of his generation and what he was prophesying of them. Matthew 23, beginning at verse 29. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets. There's the servants that were sent. And garnish the sepulchres of the righteous. And say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Berechias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Because it was that generation that killed the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and let's get Paul's take on the seriousness of that generation of Jews. He was a Jew. If anyone's going to defend the Jews, it would be Paul. Or it would have been Jesus. Jesus just said, how can you escape the damnation of hell? This generation is going to be held accountable for all the righteous blood, all the way from the beginning with Abel, right down to Zacharias, which in the Old Testament, in, with the book of Chronicles coming last in the Hebrew Old Testament, that was the last prophet that was killed. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 14. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. Notice, when you have more than one church, what are they called? Churches. We don't call them a big church, do we? We call them churches because every congregation is individual, unique, and separate from others. 
and collectively they're called churches. Don't tell me about the Baptist church. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. That's a denominational name, and you're using something the Bible doesn't know anything about. Amen. If you want to talk about the General Assembly, I'll let you use those words because they're found in Hebrews chapter 12. I'm sorry for getting off track. We're reading about the character of the Jews and what God was going to do to them. Verse 14, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they might be saved, to fill up their sins alway, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. To fill up their sins alway. They are finishing the transgression. That wicked generation and group of people called the Jews culminated in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Back to Daniel chapter 9. In verse 24, when it gives us the first thing that is going to happen, it says to finish the transgression. And that was the Jews crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the ultimate crime that could be done by any people against the God of heaven to crucify his son. Seventy weeks were determined, and that is one of the things that would happen. They would finish the transgression. The second one is to make an end of sins. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 tells me that Jesus Christ by himself purged our sins. Hebrews 1.3 He put an end to sin. The Lord Jesus Christ came and put an end to sin. The Bible tells us about Him that He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. By one offering, He's put away all sin forever. The Lord Jesus Christ has. And we're told this in about 457 B.C., a year or two before Cyrus took the throne, the angel told Daniel exactly what was going to happen in a 490-year time period, Jesus Christ would put an end to sin. So the second thing we want to look at, and especially with what we're doing tonight, as we come to the Lord's table, it says to make an end of sins. I'm thankful that the God of heaven sent one of his messengers quickly to Daniel. Do you remember what, what it says? While I was speaking, the angel appeared to me. While Daniel was still in his prayer, the angel arrived and told Daniel, I've come to give you skill and understanding in a prophecy that's about to take place. Did you know that if there's a gap in that thing, Daniel nor anyone else, not even angels in heaven, know skill or understanding because the angels in heaven do not even know the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. How can you have skill and understanding in something that's impossible to figure out? Blasphemers. I despise them. We despise Rome because she tries to turn a cracker into God and I have no more respect for men that take such a plain prophecy and ruin it for the sakes of so many right. so they cannot see the glory of their Lord Jesus Christ. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Look at Romans chapter 5 with me. Romans chapter 5. What are we supposed to think about when we come to the Lord's table? These things, an end of sin, reconciliation for iniquity. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 tells us that Christ died for us. Verse 10 tells us this, For if, when we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. That tells us that the, re- that the resurrection of Jesus Christ and Jesus ascending into heaven shows that the reconciliation for iniquity has been completed because now Jesus Christ only makes intercession for us, reminding God of what He has done and showing mercy to us on a daily and regular basis for the forgiveness of our sins practically. But we have been, past tense, 2,000 years ago, reconciled to God by the death of His Son. You're in the New Testament. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.19 Explanation To wit, here's what Paul was trying to tell you, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling the world. We were at enmity. God hates every single sinner. Always has, always will. But He made reconciliation for our sins and iniquities by the substitutionary interposition of the Lord Jesus Christ in our place. Therefore, He could love us from eternity, fixed on His decorative will that He would send Jesus Christ to die for us. His decorative will is His secret will where He decrees what is going to happen. And He decreed that Jesus Christ would come and stand in for us, putting away our sins, reconciling us to God. When two people are at enmity, they hate each other or they're at war, and they're reconciled, that means all differences have been taken away. Brethren, all differences have been taken away, and it was announced in 457 B.C. And it happened, because all the promises of God in Christ are in Him, yea, and in Him, amen. Amen. Daniel chapter 9. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity. Those are the first three. The fourth one, to bring in everlasting righteousness. If we were to have stayed in the same place, and I just turned you away from it, so I won't turn you back to it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We are given the righteousness of God by the Lord Jesus Christ coming and living and dying for us. And that is an everlasting righteousness, never to be taken away, it's God's righteousness. How long do you think that lasts? According to 2 Corinthians 5.21, it's the righteousness of God. That is an everlasting righteousness because His righteousness is everlasting. And so it fulfills the prophecy perfectly. That's point number four. What is number five? To seal up the vision and prophecy. To seal up the vision and prophecy. Daniel is being given some very clear, plain, obvious information here. But part of what's going to happen in the years coming is God's going to seal up that vision and that prophecy 
so that hardly anyone is able to figure it out or understand it. There were some because they were in expectation. But what happened to the rest of the Jewish nation? The single most quoted prophecy from the Old Testament in the New Testament is Isaiah's prophecy about how God gave the nation of Israel eyes that could not see, ears that could not hear, and a heart that could not understand. It was sealed up. Do you know what happened? Wise men came from the east. There was a reported sighting of angels. There was a crazy rumor that a virgin had given birth in Bethlehem. There were miracles done for three and a half years, including raising the dead. Vast multitudes were fed by the multiplication of a few loaves and fishes that was stupendous to even think about it. He died on the cross, and the earth went dark for three hours. There was an earthquake that rent tombs wide open, and men were reported to have been seen in the city. The veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, and on and on it goes. You know what Jesus Christ said to them? You can look at the sky, and when it's a red sky at night, you know that fair weather is coming. And when you see a red sky in the morning, you know that foul weather is coming. You hypocrites. You are able to look at the sky and tell what kind of weather is coming, but you are unable to look at all that's going on around you and know that the Son of God is here. And instead of recognizing Him as the Son of God, as I taught you recently, they said He's doing it by the power of Beelzebub. What had happened to their vision? These were the conservative scholars of the Bible, the Pharisees, the fundamentalists of their generation, the most conservative sect of the Jews' religion. Why couldn't they see Jesus? Because He had stopped up their eyes, ears, and hearts, so that they could not see or understand lest he would convert them. Do I need to take you to Matthew and and read again why he spoke in parables? Do I need to take you to John and show you that that prophecy was fulfilled in that generation? That's number five. Number six, and to anoint the most holy. Now these aren't in any necessary order, and God doesn't always put things in order. And if you need some examples of things not in order, I'll give them to you from the Bible. This anointing of the Most Holy. When was Jesus Christ anointed? I mean, the New Testament does happen to tell us a number of times when he was anointed. At his baptism, before he went around doing good, God anointed him from heaven by sending the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove upon him when he ascended up out of the waters of his baptism and a voice came from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and he was anointed. And from that day he went forth preaching the gospel. John the Baptist then pointed to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. He had not been known to Israel as the Christ yet. For thirty years he lived in obscurity, and it was John the Baptist that was sent to make him manifest to Israel. Those are God's words from John chapter 1. To make him manifest. He was hidden in obscurity, a sinless, perfect life as the son of Mary, and the child of a perceived legal father of Joseph. But it was John the Baptist that pointed him out as the Christ, the Messiah. Where's the Messiah found? That's a word that occurs in the Bible four times. Two times right here in this chapter, two times in the Gospel of John, where 
John the Baptist pointed out that it was the Christ. Right. The Christ meaning the Messiah. Because both Christ and Messiah mean the anointed one of God. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, Daniel. Daniel, I know that you're very concerned about the city of Jerusalem that is lying in heaps. The seventy years are coming to an end and Cyrus is about to make a decree and they're going to go back and rebuild that city. But I want to give you a bigger picture of things to come. There's 490 years left for my dealings with the people of Israel. And here's what's going to come to pass in those years. Can you? Is there a prophecy plainer than that anywhere in the Bible? That list of things to bring in everlasting righteousness, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity? That was one wonderful prophecy. We're just getting started, too. That's verse 24. And he was told exactly what time frame it would have to happen in, inside of 490 years. Verse 25. Daniel, know therefore and understand that this prophecy is incapable of ever being figured out because there is an indeterminate gap jammed into the middle of it because I forgot the church age. We used to sit there and listen to that drivel. It's called twaddle also. Go home and look up drivel and twaddle. D-R-I-V-E-L. T-W-A-D-D-L-E. It'll tell you what those kind of men are letting out of their mouths. Know therefore. What does that mean? Simple. Obvious. Lay hold of this, Daniel. I'm laying some simple, plain, obvious truths out for you. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, who made that commandment? Cyrus, the Persian. Don't anyone look in the center column reference of your Bible and read anything about Artaxerxes telling Ezra that he would assist in the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Artaxerxes was a nobody in comparison to Cyrus. Cyrus is the man, and Cyrus's decree is the event because it's the one identified by God over and over. Go read the last chapter of Second Chronicles. Go read the first chapter of Ezra. Go read Isaiah 44 and 45. It's Cyrus the Persian. In case your little footnotes tell you some ridiculous story about Artaxerxes. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment of Cyrus the Persian to restore and to build Jerusalem. Unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. What's a score, Lewis? Good man. That I had you on the spot. <laughs> but you answered it right. Twenty. So what's three score and two? Sixty-two. And we have seven. So we've got a total of 69 weeks. But the Lord has broken them into two chunks for us. The first chunk of seven weeks would be 49 years. And that's how long it took to rebuild that temple because the Jews were very lazy about it. Do you know why we have the book of Haggai? Because remember, they had built their houses and they weren't building the house of God. Remember? It took them 49 years. That's the first chunk. The second chunk is 62 weeks. The total is 69 weeks. Know this, therefore, Daniel, and understand that from when Cyrus opens his mouth and says, the Lord God of heaven has charged me to build him a temple in Jerusalem. From that moment, there's going to be 69 weeks, which is 483 years, 
unto Messiah the Prince. That will get us to Messiah the Prince, Jesus Christ the Prince of the kings of the earth. Praise His glorious name and love Him tonight. This prophecy was given to a man who confessed the sins of a whole nation. And an angel came and told him exactly what was going to happen. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. Forty-nine years. It was troubled. They were troubled by all those nations around Jerusalem that did not want Jerusalem reestablished. Because sitting on the top of Mount Zion with walls, it was pretty well an impregnable city. And the Jews had been known in times past to beat up on their nations. So they, it was troublesome to get the thing rebuilt. But that's that's verse 25. Right. 69 weeks, 483 years, brings us to 27 A.D. I am so thankful that I get to stand before you with one of the greatest jobs in the world and tell you the truth from this book. Amen. I have sat in chairs and pews and heard men that did not know this book and had made up a story. They preached not to defend the Word of God, but to, to defend a Jew like C.I. Schofield. They preached not to defend the Word of God, but to defend a comic book by Clarence Larkin. They didn't preach to defend the Word of God. They wanted to preach to defend books by other prophecy writers. They did not want to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. They want to lift up the Antichrist. They don't want to lift up the kingdom of heaven because they don't even know what it is. Do you know what they think the kingdom of heaven is? When Jesus Christ comes down to earth and takes the bars out of zoos so the lions can go in with the lambs. Haven't you seen the pictures in Bible story books? They think the kingdom of heaven is some future generation that's going to have Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as a rule of how to live. Do you know what I know about Matthew 5, 6, and 7? Jesus applied it to the people that were listening to him, and he's right. applied it to us. I am so sick of all that. And please forgive me for getting off track again. You're going to face this garbage at the school you go to, young man. You listen to what I'm telling you. If the teacher tries to put a gap in those 70 weeks, you tell the you come in late to school the next day. Come in at 8.30. If class starts at 8, you come in at 8.30 and say that the Lord put a gap in your timing. It's ridiculous. It's a note from your dad. I love this precious prophecy. What have we, we've seen six things in verse 24. We've been told, know therefore and understand. When the, when the Lord says know something and understand, do you know what it means? It means it is simple. When the Lord gives us something hard, does he know that as well? Yes. Does he tell us that the number of the beast in Revelation is hard? Here is wisdom. He doesn't say no one understand. He says here is wisdom. If you're really, really wise, you might be able to figure this one out. The Lord knows the difference. He knows that a proverb is a dark saying that's hard to figure out. And he knows what is an express statement. Trust the Lord. Amen. When he tells us that something is, that we should know it and understand it, it's right there on the page in front of you. He's not writing mixed messages. There's no innuendo. There's no, nothing between the lines. Read it and understand. In Matthew 24, Jesus said about Daniel's writings, he said this, Let him that readeth understand. Because you know what? That's all you got to do. 
is read these four verses, and they're simple. This is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he was made of a woman made under the law before the law was wiped from this earth. Verse 26, and after three score and two weeks, we had chunks. We had a seven-week chunk and a 62-week chunk. Together they were 69 weeks. Now, if I've already given you the chunks, that the seven comes for forgive me for that word, if it's a little uncouth for the pulpit, but after what Brother Paul told us tonight about Elisha, I don't feel that bad right. after what he said to the kings of Israel. Seven weeks out in front, and then 62. Why do you need to even mention the seven? So you say it this way, after three score and two weeks. But after three score and two weeks is really after 69 weeks, because the seven is unspoken in front of the 62. I hope you're all with me on that. And after three score and two weeks, which is really 69, because there were seven in front of it, shall Messiah be cut off. Who's the Messiah? The anointed one from back up, anointed the most holy. Who's the most holy? Who is the most holy in the last part of verse 24? That is the Messiah. That's Jesus the Christ. Jesus our Savior and our Lord. Who came on the scene in 27 A.D. Verse 26 tells us after, after three score and two weeks, which is really 69 weeks, shall Messiah be cut off. What does it mean to be cut off in Bible language? To be killed. If it's after the 69th week, what week are we in? The 70th week. Is that hard to figure out? Read and understand. And remember. After three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. And this is why we're together tonight at the Lord's table. But not for himself. Jesus did not come to die for himself. Because there was nothing to die for in himself. He came to die for you. Our youngest member back there. He came to die for you. Our newest member next to her. He did not come to die for himself. He came to die for us. He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. He shall save his people from their sins. It then goes on in the next, the last part of verse 26. It goes to describe the people that would come. Plural. People that would come of a prince. And that's Titus Vespasian who came with the Roman armies and desolated the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood. And it doesn't say that these things would occur in the 70 weeks at all. It says it would just happen after Messiah was cut off, which it did 40 years later. Back now on to verse 27. And he, he is a pronoun. I didn't pay very much attention when I was in school and I was wrong. You do better. School. Okay? We got a pronoun. And he, a pronoun has an antecedent. That means there's a noun that that little pronoun is standing in for. What is the antecedent of he? Prince is not a subject of the previous clauses. The Messiah. The Messiah is the antecedent of the he. Because the subject of the second clause of verse 26 is the people of the prince that shall come. You got that with me? We go back to the Messiah. And we know what we know it's the Messiah from just reading the prophecy because this is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what it says in verse 27. There's much more that can be said on all these points, but not tonight. And he shall confirm the covenant with many 
for one week. Amen. Jesus Christ came in 27 A.D. He was 30 years of age. He was baptized and presented to the nation of Israel as the Messiah of God. Right. He walked among the Jews for three and a half years. How do I know it was three and a half years? Because every word of God is pure to me. Right. And it says in the midst of the week he's going to be cut off. So I know how long he walked among the Jews. And then I go to the Gospel of John, and I find him at four Passovers. And the last one he died at, so I've got at least three full years. And the first Passover he went, was, went to was not the first event of his ministerial life. I've got my three and a half years from the Gospel of John and from right here. <clears throat> he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. What was the whole message of Jesus Christ but preaching the Gospel of the Kingdom of Heaven? He was confirming that covenant with many, that the Messiah was there. Peter said to him, We know and believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was confirming the covenant. He confirmed it on the cross. He confirmed it at the Last Supper. What did he say? This cup is the New Testament in my blood. What's a synonym for testament in the New Testament? covenant did Jesus Christ in the word of God call it the old testament and the new testament or did they call it the old covenant and the new covenant Jesus Christ confirmed the covenant with many for a week you say well if he died in the middle of the week I believe that he confirmed it with many for three and a half years but what about the second half of the week did he confirm it did he confirm it he confirmed it better in the second half than he did in the first half yeah. therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified both Lord and Christ and they said men and brethren what shall we do Amen. and Peter said repent and be baptized and the same day there were added to them about three thousand souls what about the next day 5,000. What about the next few days? Multiplied thousands. Did he confirm the covenant with many? Amen. Very many. For a week. You say, well, when exactly did the 490 years end? At the end of three and a half years after Jesus died? Do you need more on that subject? You say, well, I want to find a date in the book of Acts. The date in the book of Acts is unimportant because the whole prophecy is pointing to the midst of the 70th week. Right. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. All the sacrificial system that had been in place for over 1,500 years was put to an end by three words. I love you, brethren. Amen. Don't we love each other in the Lord? It is finished. Did he whisper that with a dying gasp? No. Or was it, it was a loud voice? I think our brother told us that last. Yes, it was. He mustered enough strength with a loud voice to say, It is finished. When that cry rolled across the, top, the hilltop of Calvary, what was happening to the Holy of Holies? The presence of God. The veil was being rent in twain from top to bottom, and the way into God was wide open. The sacrificial system was over. Just because some blind, deaf, stone-hearted Jews kept offering sacrifices 
didn't have a thing to do with reality. The reality was Jesus Christ had opened up a new and living way into the presence of God where we can now go boldly. Brethren, it was prophesied in 457 B.C. When I read Luke 3.15 and I find the word expectation, I don't blow over it. I hope you won't blow over it. They were in expectation because they knew how to read a calendar. They knew when their people had been delivered out of Babylon by the decree of Cyrus. They were able to count. That's why Anna spoke to a group of people, not to the Pharisees. Right. To a group of people that were looking for redemption in Jerusalem. Brethren, 27 A.D., John the Baptist burst onto the scene, a wild man preaching repentance to make ready a people for the Lord. They thought that maybe he was the Christ. He said, oh no, oh no, there's one coming after me that's mightier than I am. I'm not even worthy to loose the latchet of his shoes. I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The Holy Ghost was confirming the covenant with all the believers. The baptism of fire was burning up the city of the Jews 40 years later. That was not part of the 70 weeks. It followed the 70 weeks. The list of six things that we are told about do not include the destruction of Jerusalem because it was outside the 70 weeks, just for your education. But brethren, our, our Lord was prophesied. And tonight when we come to the cup, and I say, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. For the sake of any tender souls here, I'm going to say this cup is the New Testament in my blood. We could just as rightly say, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And I want you to understand that he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Jesus Christ is still confirming his covenant with us, the true Jews that are born again in our hearts and circumcised in the spirit, not in the flesh. There is no more sacrifice to be made for sin. Did you know the Apostle Paul wrote a whole book to tell us that? It's called the book of Hebrews. The whole Levitical priesthood has passed away because there's a new priesthood. It's the priesthood of Melchizedek, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't mean the Melchizedek priesthood of the Mormon church. I mean the Melchizedek priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was prophesied in Daniel chapter 9. I want you to know your Bibles. I want you to know that what we're doing right now was foretold 486 and a half years before it took place when Jesus raised the cup and pronounced words that have been observed for 2,000 years that this is a symbol of the covenant that God made for the salvation of his people and Jesus Christ came and fulfilled all the terms of it and being the testator he died and put his own will into force what kind of a God is that who would make a will I will bequeath all these blessings to my children upon my death and then kill himself by laying down his life is how I mean that that is what God did through Jesus Christ our Lord that is our salvation that brethren is what we want to lay hold of in our hearts may the Lord bless the preaching of his word Amen.